This is the Lunduke Journal podcast for Sunday, August 28th, the year of our Lord, 2022. And as we do every Sunday, this Sunday, we're talking about the news, the fun news, the only news that matters, stuff about Linux and Unix, alternative operating systems, retro computing and stuff like that, stuff that makes your nerdy heart sing with joy and jubilation. Uh, we're starting off today. I want to talk about NetBSD. And I, I need to open with an apology, an apology to NetBSD, an apology to you, the faithful readers and listeners of the Lunduke Journal. NetBSD 3, 9.3 came out three weeks ago, three weeks ago, and I didn't cover it. Here's the thing. I read the news. I enjoyed the news. I devoured the news and thought, how cool, what cool tidbits of information. And then I simply didn't talk about it. <laughs> Whoops. So uh, my bad, Mia culpa, Mulligan, et cetera, et cetera. I am so sorry. I am so sorry to all of you. I simply forgot. To make up for it, we're putting the news about NetBSD front and center. And uh, uh, here's the thing. Before I dive into the news about what's new in the new version of NetBSD, I need to point out how amazingly impressive this operating system is. So NetBSD is older, older than FreeBSD. It's older than OpenBSD. It's, it's almost as old as Linux. It is um, an amazing highly, highly portable BSD operating system. It is so portable. I am going to read for you right now the entire list of supported architectures for NetBSD. And now here's the thing. It is absolutely insane that I'm about to read them all to you because there are so many, but do not make the mistake and jump forward in time. I feel like it, you, you have to listen to them all to appreciate the gloriousness that is NetBSD, because what other platforms can claim this? It's so, it's so few. Linux can't even come close to touching the sheer number of places that you can run it than NetBSD does. So here's the tier one platforms. Now, tier one platforms for NetBSD are the ones that, that the team itself really focus on, right? They, it is supported. It is part. It is a core part of the NetBSD overall strategy. And it's a smaller list, but it's still amazing. And that is the 64-bit x86 family of uh, CPUs from Intel and AMD. ARM evaluation boards, MIPS-based evaluation boards, PowerPC-based evaluation boards, StrongArm-based Windows CE PDA machines. Yes, you can run these on Windows CE PDAs. 32-bit x86 family of uh, generic machines, also known as PC clones. Sun Ultra Spark 64-bit machines and the Zen Virtual Machine Monitor. Okay. Big list, right? I mean, a big, impressive Linux-like list. Then things get crazy. And then we hit the Tier 2 systems. Now, these Tier 2 systems, as a general rule of thumb, are very functional. There's a few that are up and down, but they generally 
function and are fully functional. They are considered the organic systems. They are evolving, quote, at their own pace. And they are important to NetBSD. NetBSD values them. They're just not the core part of the strategy. Here we go. Acorn Risk PCs. Algorithmics MIPS boards, digital alpha 64-bit boards, Commodore Amigas, and Macrosystem Dracos from, that run the M68K processor. PowerPC-based Amiga boards. Um, advanced risk comp computing spec machines. The Atari TT-030 Falcon and Hades. Yeah, the B-Box from B Incorporated, Chalice Technology Strong Arm Boards, um, the M68K FIC VME Processor Boards, the Cobalt Networks Microservers, the Sega Dreamcast Game Consoles, um, any machine based on, quote, extensible MIPS, the 32-bit Scion Epoch PDA. <laughs> I know. I know! Evaluation boards running on the SH3 and SH4 CPUs. NEC 60, uh, NEC's MIPS-based workstations. The Hewlett-Packard 300 and 400 series. The Hewlett-Packard 9000 PAW RISC machines. MIPS-based Windows CE PDA machines. <laughs> There's so many here. Uh, more SH3 and SH4-based machines running Windows CE. Uh, the Itanium family of processors. The IBM Network Station Series 1000s, uh, the Leonix ARM PC, the Omron Tatesi Electronics Luna Series, the M68K Macintosh, so 68K Max, PowerPC Macintoshes and Clones, MIPS Family of Workstations and Servers, so many MIPS machines, awesome. Awesome. Uh, all right. I, you know what? I'm going to skip a bunch of them because it's, there's a lot of a whole lot of MIPS and 68K and PowerPC ones. I'm just going to call out the weird ones because I just realized that this list will go on forever. Uh, the next workstations. You remember the next box? Yeah, this can run this. Uh, the Sony 68K and MIPS based net workstation series. Um, what else we got? The uh, the deck stations. Yeah, the Digital Equipment Corporation workstations. Nice. Uh, the MCA-based IBM RS6000 workstations. The Broadcom Cybite Evaluation Boards. The Silicon Graphics MIPS workstations. They are the SGI machines. The Digital DNARD Shark. The Sun Spark 32-bit. Sun 2, Sun 3, and 3X. The Digital Vax. The Sharp 68K series. And the Sharp Zarus PDA series. All of those run NetBSD. And they also it also... And also, also the Acorn Archimedes. So we're talking CP, just the CPU architectures. We've got the Alpha, the ARM, and so many variants. The HPPA, the i386, the Motorola 68K, and some variants. The MIPS, and some variants. Multiple variants of PowerPC. The SH3 line, the Spark, Spark 64, VAX, and x86 64-bit. All from one operating system that is light, lean, fast, and Unixy is all get out. And I did not give it the love it deserved. 
when they had the 9.3 release earlier this month. So my apologies, my apologies to all. So here's here's some cool bits. Here's a cool bit. I'm going to read this quote from the NetBSD 9.3 release. Aside from many bug fixes, 9.3 includes backported improvements to suspend and resume support. Always nice. Various minor additions to new hardware and existing device drivers, compatibility with UDF file systems created on Windows 10, enhanced support for newer Intel Gigabit Ethernet chips, better support for new Intel and AMD Zen 3 chips, uh, support for configuring connections to Wi-Fi networks using SysInst8, uh, support for WSFB-based X11 servers on the Commodore Amiga. Yeah. So it's take a take an Amiga, install NetBSD on it, and get your X11 sir. Awesome. Awesome. Uh and minor performance improvements for the Zen hypervisor. So what's amazing to me about NetBSD and why it deserves some more attention and love than it gets. And that's something that maybe I should remedy in a future article series. Is that not only do does their team and the community around NetBSD put a lot of work into supporting some very new things and supporting uh, compatibility with modern operating systems and other modern chipsets and platforms. But massive amounts of support go into aging hardware, aging software support. Commodore Amiga, awesome. Purely awesome. I I I I'm just I'm just dumbfounded. Way to go, NetBSD team! All right. Uh oh oh oh. I should point out that this last week, Linux turned 31 years old. This was the uh, so 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 the week before last, GNOME and Debian had a birthday. GNOME turned 29 years old. Uh, no, sorry, GNOME turned 25 years old, and Debian turned 29 years old. Well, on August 25th, earlier this week, Linux turned 31 years old. Now, when we, it's always hard to calculate what the birthday of an operating system is. Is it the day that it was like thought of? It was. Is it the day of the first release? Is it the day of the first announcement? What we usually do in the Linux world is we count it based on the first public announcement. And that is when Linus himself announced it and he made that, that post on the Minix U, uh, Usenet forum. Where he said, you know, I'm doing this new project. It's not going to be anything big and professional, like new or anything like that. And he kind of just talked about it a little bit. We usually use that, that post as the birthday for Linux. But really, it started several months earlier, and uh, and later in September is when the first bits were released. So sometimes people count that. But in general, right about now is Linux's birthday. So here's a little fun tidbit. And, and many of you will know this, but it's worth repeating because it's just so fun. So Linux wasn't originally named Linux. In fact, when Linus made this announcement... The name was not Linux. He didn't even name it in the announcement himself. <laughs> he didn't. He didn't name the operating system that he was announcing, the project he was working on, <laughs> right in there. And, and in fact, when it was first ready to be uploaded, it had a different name. So later in September, 
Uh, let's see. Do I have the date here? Uh, it was early September. It was the first week of September. It gets uploaded. And the name was Freaks, which was a combination of the word freak <laughs> with the letter X at the end because that made it sound Unixy. <laughs> That's really the true story. That's the original name of Linux was Freaks. Spelled exactly like freak, except an X in place of a K. And that's what Linus was going to name it. So now, well, why did it become Linux? When, when did it become Linux, right? When did the name change? Well, it changed in early September by a person named Ari Lemke. Now, Ari Lemke uh, was working there at the university, and he was the one responsible for uploading it to the FTP server there at the university in Helsinki because he was one of like the kind of the administrators there of that FTP server. He took one look at the, at the directory and the project name of freaks. And he thought that's a stupid name. He renamed it. He renamed it to, to Linux without asking Linus. <laughs> he, he did not ask the guy who created the project if it was okay to change the name officially on the FTP server and the release. He just went ahead and did it. Now, it's not as quite as crazy as all that. Uh, there was a point at which, you know, Linus was, was thinking about, you know, different names it could be. And Linux was kind of put out there jokingly, I think. He kind of thought, oh, I could name it after myself. Ha, ha, ha. But he didn't want to. He wanted to name it Freaks. <laughs> he didn't. And Ari Lemke decided for him that that was a dumb idea, changed the project name, changed the folder name, and boom, Linux is history. So yes, did, did, did Torvalds himself name Linux? No, he did not. He did not name the project that he himself released. That was entirely Ari Lemke. <laughs> That doesn't get talked about enough. Um, I, 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 should be, I would be remiss. I would be uh, a very bad boy if I did not also mention that there is another birthday this, this last week. And that is on August 24th, 27 years ago, we saw the release of Windows 95. <laughs> I, I've included uh, a link to a over on YouTube to the to the launch video with Jay Leno and Bill Gates and it is uh, if you've never watched it you you owe it to yourself to go watch this video it's about a half hour long maybe a little longer and so, some of the moments are legitimately interesting from a kind of looking back at history point of view some of the moments are just a, a fun time capsule of that period of time and some of the moments oh my gosh I, I, I am I am I'm loath to the to use the word cringeworthy too often but this 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 counts this <laughs> this qualifies as cringeworthy uh, in a in a beautiful way uh, honestly, go back. Whether you love Windows, hate Windows, feel indifferent about Windows, it's worth watching just because. Uh, yeah. So lots of birthdays. August is a big computer anniversary month. I mean, GNOME and Debian and Linux and Windows 95. It's a, there's a lot. There's a heck of a lot. All right, moving on, moving on. And this is this next little tidbit is not a new thing at all. 
Not at all. In fact, I think it's about 12 years old, but I just found out about it. And I <laughs> don't know if any of you know about it, so I'm, I'm reporting on it so that we can all enjoy it together. Someone reverse-engineered the Super Nintendo classic, The Legend of Zelda, A Link to the, the Past, which is a great Zelda game, and re-implemented the whole thing in C++ using SDL in a, in a plays-perfectly way, right? So it plays just like it does on the Super Nintendo, Except it's all in C++ and SDL, meaning it runs on Linux and Windows. And in theory, anywhere else you can run SDL 2, I believe. And it works just fine. I, now, here's the thing. It uses the original game ROM to pull all the art assets and the maps. It kind of pulls all those out and then compiles it in. So you need to have the ROM. You need to have the original ROM, uh, which I'm assuming you... <laughs> can find a way to figure that out um so you need to have the original rom to build it i've linked to it in the article so you can go check out the github page and i'm going to read a couple little tidbits here because i found it to be absolutely fascinating quote it's around 70 to 80 thousand lines of c and c code and re-implements all parts of the original game the game is playable from start to end you need a copy of the rom to extract game resources levels and images once that's done the rom is no longer needed it uses it uses the ppu and dsp implementation from lakesness additionally it can be configured to all that way it can you know make all the super nintendo sounds and whatnot additionally it can be configured to also run the original machine code side by side then the ram state is compared after each frame to verify that the c++ implementation is correct so he he built this thing so you could side by side run the C++ version of the game and in an emulator, the Super Nintendo ROM version of the game. And after every frame, the, the engine could compare the RAM state of the two to make sure that the C++ Im implementation is perfect. That is wild. So it's not just recreating the gameplay experience. It's not just recreating the end result. It's recreating and re-implementing, implementing it, <laughs> implementing it exactly so that the RAM state will perfectly match. How cool is that? And how, how dedicated, like super weaponized autism. Like that is just, that is just dedication to make that happen. Uh, kudos to the developer for pulling that off. That is that is impressive. Uh, all right, all right, all right. Uh, also, I want to mention uh, the new Dell. So uh, I like I like talking about alternative operating system and including Linux hardware. Uh, I I used to work at Purism, uh, which released the like the Librem fourteen laptops and whatnot, and. Uh, I actually used to work at Hewlett Packard, which which also has their own their own <laughs> Linux laptop line now, and I have a good relationship with the guys over at Dell as well. Like I, we all know each other. Once once you're kind of in the the Linux hardware industry, there's a limited number of people, and you all generally get to know each other. As System seventy six used to sponsor my shows and 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 brought me down there to their their offices before, and and it, so we we all know each other. 
And so I don't normally report on every new iteration of every Linux laptop that comes out, but the new one from Dell is enough different that I wanted to call attention to it. It looks really slick. I'm not 100% certain about the keyboard on it, but the keyboard looks cool. So anyway, uh, so it's the Dell XPS 13 Plus Developer Edition, right? So it's the Plus Edition. Um, and it is, visually, it's a big change and upgrade from the standard Dell XPS 13, uh, which has kind of looked more or less the same for quite a few years now. Uh, the XPS Plus... Uh, starts at $1,279. Uh, it's got a 12th generation Core i7. <laughs> I just think it's funny that we're up to generation 12 of the i7. Um, uh, up to 32 gigs of RAM, uh, 2 terabytes of storage, a 13.4 inch FHD plus uh, 3.5K OLED or, or a 4K plus display, um, you know, wireless Wi-Fi, blah, 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 blah. But what really what really caught my eye is the design of this thing. I mean, it's obviously a very fast laptop, right? It's it's a very fast laptop. It's it's and and I I've been pretty doggone happy with past iterations of the Dell XPS 13 line, right? I like I have my complaints about them, just like I have my complaints about many different laptops that are out there right now that are just not user serviceable, right? It's you can't just swap out the battery on these things, which bugs the snot out of me, which is kind of why I've been deciding to to move myself over to the framework laptop. But if you can look past that, right? If you're already decided that you know what, I'm willing to get a laptop from Apple or HP or Dell or whoever where I can't or System 76 even where I can't easily swap out the battery or other parts this is this isn't a bad looking machine it looks very slick i like that it's shipping it's shipping out of the box with uh, ubuntu 2204 so most recent uh it's the most recent lts release of ubuntu uh so it's all snappy but i mean i i'm sure you could downgrade it or or throw on a different distro or whatnot <coughs> excuse me talking about snappy made me cough um but the keyboard is very peculiar looking uh and there's no it's weird when you look at the keyboard for it there's a series of buttons along the top that do not look like physical buttons they're just like you know you know sensor tapping buttons with no discernible edge between them where like the function type keys go that's a little weird. It looks very futuristic. Um, and the the keys themselves, like the the, the QWERTY keys, are it's just, it's just very sharp-edged and flat, which I, I'm guessing some people are going to love and some people are going to hate just, just looking at it. The arrow keys are totally weird. It has two full-size, almost bigger than the letter keys, left and right arrow keys, and in the middle between them, so, right, cut in half horizontally is the up and down arrow key. So the up and down arrow keys are a little less than half the size of the left and right arrow key. It, it's a little weird looking, but it also looks cool. Like, it's, like it looks futuristic and cool, but it also looks like annoying. Like I can't quite tell if I love it or hate it, but it does look really cool. And then there's no discernible visually trackpad 
on the front. I mean, it has one. But, like, you can't really see it. I don't know if, like, the whole thing is just a trackpad or what. But, like, you, I can't quite... I can't quite tell where the edge of the trackpad is. Like I've been looking at it for a little bit and I can't quite figure that out, but it's a beautiful machine. Uh, so if you want a Linux machine, it's, it's one worth I, taking a look at. I mean, cause Dell realistically, Dell has been in the let's put Linux on a laptop game longer than most. You know what I mean? They've been doing this for a while and it's all been spearheaded by this guy named Barton George over at Dell who is a cool dude? Like it's, uh, I've I've broken bread with this guy. I, I can I can attest to he is he's he is one of us, but also he's he just is good at what he does, right? And so he kind of spearheaded this whole thing that they call Project Sputnik with inside Dell, and that is the project of shipping laptops with with Linux preloaded and supported. Anyway, so I love that that Dell's continuing to do that. This particular machine, I would, I don't know if I could buy this without first playing with the keyboard. Like that would be my, my, my deal breaker, right? Like I would need to be able to go down to a Best Buy and I, and you know, luckily it's the Dell XPS plus line. So if you can find somewhere that carries that, the non Linuxy version, you can go see what the hardware is like and then buy the Linux, the Linux only version, uh, from their website. But I, I, I would want to get my hands on the keyboard first. Cause it looks a little funky. <laughs> it looks a little weird, Look like cool, weird, but weird, weird, just the same. Anyway, uh, so there you go. There's the news for the week. The good, important news. The news that makes you happy. Oh, man. Glorious. Glorious, glorious times are ahead. I hope all of you are having a great, great weekend. I hope you got to do something nerdy. I hope you got to do something with your friends and family and loved ones. I hope that someone, somewhere, gave you a high five this weekend. Because, dagnabbit! You deserve a high five. <laughs> all right, everybody. Uh, thank you to all the subscribers. Uh, thank you to everyone over on lunduke.locals.com for hanging out with me all week long and joking with me and posting all your nerdy stories. Thank you to all the subscribers also over at lunduke.substack.com. You guys help keep the lights on here at the Lunduke Journal and make everything that we do possible. Um, all of it's fantastic. All of you are fantastic. If you haven't yet picked up a subscription, what? are you waiting for subscribe at least get the free subscription if you don't have a free subscription you're not getting notified and then move over to one of the better subscriptions because there's all sorts of really fun perks that happen all week long every single week and otherwise you'll have severe FOMO severe fear of missing out and you don't want to have that that's basically the same as getting the chicken pox it's itchy is what, is what I'm trying to tell you all right, everybody. Love y'all, and I will see you all a little bit later.